Remember, the Beatitudes are the key to happiness. I guess I should advance the slide. There we go. The, the world is longing for happiness, and sadly, most people look to the wrong places and do not find lasting happiness. They try to find it, but yet they allow it to slip through the fingers. They have overlooked the obvious in order to fall headlong into the pit of sorrow. Happiness comes by being poor of spirit. And we know that poor of spirit means to be humbled in the presence and the magnificence of God. We stand before Almighty God and we realize just how great, how powerful, how magnificent He is and we find ourselves poor in spirit. Then it also comes by mourning over a person's own sinfulness. So we see how great God is, we look at ourselves, and we realize just how poor in spirit we are, and we mourn over our sin. And further, it comes by meekly submitting to the will of God. Because we mourn over our sin, then we turn and we submit to the will of God. Now in this lesson, we're going to point to another key of happiness, and that is it comes by hungering and thirsting after righteousness. Happiness is something that, now if you, if you really think about this, this is one of those paradoxical statements. I mean, happiness comes by mourning, that's paradoxical, but happiness comes by hungering and thirsting? Well, that's not the way we normally think about it. But again, it's a paradoxical statement. Jesus said in Matthew 5 and verse 6, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Now in looking at this, we're going to be asking the question, first of all, what does Jesus mean by hunger and thirst? Now, I've written down several different things, but the picture that always comes to my mind the first thing when I think about hungering and thirsting is an old commercial that there used to be on television. And this man is very clearly walked across the desert. He's in ragged clothes or dirty. You could see his skin is all shriveled up. It's, it's been sun parched. And he walks up to a taco stand and he says, give me the driest taco that you can give me. And he eats the taco, and then he says, now give me a Sprite. And the Sprite then is supposed to take care of his hungering and thirsting. Well, we need to be the kind of people that truly do hunger and thirst. And I think that illustrates what hungering and thirsting is all about. It's a constant realization of a need. When a person is feeling hungry, or when he's feeling thirsty. He then has this conscious realization for a need for food, to hunger and thirst. In a spiritual sense, is to hunger and thirst for that spiritual food. Of course, Jesus was not talking about, or did not talk about, this, the physical needs. He was talking about the spiritual needs. And we ought to hunger and thirst for that spiritual food. In Matthew, the fourth chapter, in verse four, Jesus said, 
he said, uh, uh, but he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Another thought is that hungering and thirsting is a constant and consistent need. Every, everyone realizes that you cannot eat one time, one meal, and then just quit altogether and thinking that you're going to be satisfied. No, it's a constant need. It's a, it's a consistent need for food and for drink. Again, I'm reminded of a television ad that would show a man that he's eating one banana and he thinks he's going to take care of all his problems that, that the banana can solve. Or he eats one something else or she eats one piece of fruit thinking it's going to be uh, the solution to all of our problems. Well, that's not the case. Hunger and thirsting is a constant and consistent need. Sadly, people try, and they think that they can study the Bible one time and then be satisfied for life. Well, that's not really the truth. I'm also reminded of 1 Peter 2 and verse 2, where Peter wrote, as newborn babes, Desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. Well, think about that newborn babe. I mean, you know, there are only a few things the newborn babe really wants. And one of the things is a bottle that wants to be fed. And is it a one-time thing? I mean, do you feed that baby once and then think he's going to be fed the rest of his life or something? Well, of course not. It is a constant and consistent need, and we have to feed that baby every few hours to fulfill their hungering and thirsting. And then a third is that it's a realization of, a, of the consequence of not eating. Well, I think all of us know what it means to not eat. Hunger pains and that weak feeling associated with hunger then uh, can be sometimes covered up. But ultimately, they will come a time when we have to eat. In application, some people know that there is something missing in their lives. They have that empty feeling. They know there's something really beyond this life, but they never satisfy that. They never really come to know God who is missing within their lives. The psalmist said it this way in Psalm 42, verses 1 to 3. As the heart or as the deer panteth after the water brook, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for, for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my meat day and night, and they continually say unto me, Where is thy God? Another thought is that hunger and thirst simply includes the avoidance of things that would take away the appetite. Most people realize that as far as the physical body is concerned. And certainly as parents, we realize that. I mean, you know, Jody always tells me, don't feed them a bunch of ice cream before supper. Well, you know, they're talking about the grandkids. And though we have some ice cream, but I don't, Fill the cup up as full as it can be before supper time. We don't want to take away their appetite for something that's good. 
although Grampy would, wouldn't really mind doing that once in a while. But nonetheless, we have to remember that. Well, a person can get so caught up in the affairs of this life that they take away their spiritual appetite. In fact, if the devil can tempt a person with the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eye, and the pride of life, he has weakened the person's spiritual desires. In 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, there John recorded, Love not the world, neither things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. Well, this is exactly what Satan did with Adam and Eve. He redirected their thoughts. They were no longer hungering and thirsting to be like God. They hungered and thirsted to, to have, to fulfill the lust of the eyes, or the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And the same thing is true with Jesus in Matthew chapter 4. But in Jesus' case, he overcame that. And he continued to hunger for the right things. And then the fifth thing that I wrote down is that hungering and thirsting is to discipline yourself to eat the proper diet. Now, without a proper diet, there is no satisfaction. A poor diet supplies no nourishment. So we have to have that proper diet. And we recognize that with the physical body. Can you imagine the runner that's going to to run in a race that didn't prepare for that race by eating a proper diet. He's not going to win. It's, he's going to lose. You have to have a proper diet. And thus a person must make sure he or she desires the right thing and has the right appetite for the right things. Now this is the very thing that Paul warned about in, 1 Timothy, or in 2 Timothy 4 verses 3 and 4. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall turn unto fables. Can you imagine? Here it is, truth on one side, and you turn from that truth to turn to stories, fables, with good moral lessons, and yet the world is full of religious people that do that very thing. And sad to say, it's true in the church also. Well, now we want to look at what this righteousness is that we are to seek. Well, I want to start out with it in a negative way, what the, this righteousness is not. Well, righteousness is not, or seeking after righteousness, is not seeking after happiness. Now, that's really getting the cart before the horse. The text says, and Jesus said, blessed are those, that, uh, those that, that hunger and thirst for righteousness. And he didn't say, blessed are those that hunger and thirst for happiness. And yet, the world is full of people that are hungering and thirsting after happiness. Happiness is the product of seeking righteousness. This is really like a patient that goes to the doctor and he gets medicine to relieve the pain rather than medicine to relieve the ailment. 
which caused the pain. And we all know people like that, don't we? I mean, I remember a fellow here in Oklahoma years ago, uh, and he was telling his friend, well, the doctor said this, this, and this. And the friend said, well, then why aren't you doing that? And, uh, and then the friend had some excuse, and, the, and finally the other friend said, you know, there's no sense going to the doctor if you're not going to do what he says. And how true it is. I mean, you know, if we're going to seek after righteousness, we need to seek after righteousness. There's no sense going to the doctor that is the great physician and not doing what he says. Also, it is not seeking a general righteousness as in the righteousness of the nation. Now, such righteousness really begins and is dependent upon the righteousness of individuals within the nation. The nation is not an entity that is righteous itself or unrighteous. It is an entity that, that is neither good or bad. It's the people that are within it. Nations are not converted to the gospel of Christ. Individuals are converted to the gospel of Christ. And, and only when the, the majority of the individuals that make up the, the nation, that is the citizens of that nation, including its leaders become righteous, then the nation is a righteous nation. But it's only when the people, the citizens become righteous. And it's not merely seeking the forgiveness of sins. Now, don't get me wrong. The forgiveness of sins is clearly a part of it. But it's not merely seeking the forgiveness of sins. And we'll go into more detail about that here in a moment. The Beatitudes clearly indicate it is more than just seeking forgiveness. Now, Matthew 5 and verse 7 says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Hungering and thirsting for righteousness is much deeper than simply seeking forgiveness of sins. I believe this is the exact thing that Hosea addressed in Hosea 6 and verse 6, where he said, For I desire mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. That is, the sacrifice was to seek forgiveness. The burnt offerings was to seek forgiveness. They needed to do something beyond seeking forgiveness. They needed to have mercy toward one another. They needed to have a knowledge of God, not just simply seek forgiveness. Now, positively, then, what is this righteousness? Well, it's the desire to be free from sin. Now, that someone says, well, that's just exactly what we were talking about. To have that forgiveness of sins. Yeah, it includes that idea. And the reason for that desire is because sin separates us from God. Isaiah 59 and verse 2. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God. And your sins have hid his face from you. That he will not hear. But notice, it's more than, than seeking forgiveness. It must also include being free from the desire of sin. You see, that takes it a step further. We don't want just simply to have our sins forgiven. We want to be free from desires of sin. Psalm 119, verse 11. There David wrote, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. 
You see, that's the attitude that we're talking about. Not only being forgiven, but not even to have that desire. And the word will provide that for us. In Romans 6 and verse 12, Paul wrote, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that you should obey its lust thereof. Remember where Romans 6 began? Romans 6 verse 1, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. You see, the whole point is, we don't want to be in that position. Now, we want the forgiveness of sins, but don't we want not to even sin? That's the whole point. In Romans 6 and verse 16, Paul would go on to say, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. See, we want to have that sin forgiven, but we don't want to be, we want to be able to escape the sin itself. But do we not know people that, in fact, I think sometimes Christians glory in their sin and they just want the forgiveness. They really don't seek to be separated from sin and the desires of sin. Put hungering and thirsting after righteousness back into its context. Remember, these are not random order. The person who uh, seeks himself or sees himself poor in spirit, as he looks at God and how great God is, he stands before the throne of God as a person who mourns because of his sin. This person then meekly humbles himself in submission to God and is born or and is the person who then hungers and thirsts for righteousness. You see, it is more than just the forgiveness of sins. It is also the realization that we cannot guide ourselves, but we must look to an objective standard of righteousness. In Jeremiah 10 and verse 23 says, O Lord, I know the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. Jeremiah understood, and Israel, or should I say Judah, should have understood. We cannot direct ourselves. But yet when we watch the television set and we listen to people of the world, they'll always talk about listen to your heart, listen to what you have to have have to say about yourself and listen to your conscience and things like that. And they'll, they're really saying is, you do your own thing. You follow your way of righteousness. But righteousness is not within ourselves. In Proverbs 14, verse 12, there is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the way thereof are the ways of death. And thus, while hungering and thirsting after righteousness, a person turns to God's word because all his commandments are righteous. And then the third thing that I wrote down is that it is the desire to be holy and with God. Now, in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 16, and this is interesting because basically the same words are used at the end of Matthew chapter 5. And, but in, Matthew, in Luke 
or in First uh, Peter one and verse sixteen, there Peter said, "As it is written, or because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy." Brethren, good people, good listeners, we need to be holy because God is holy. It is more than just merely imputed righteousness. In First John chapter three and verse seven, I find this statement very very perplexing in light of the denominational world and what many people teach as far as righteousness is concerned. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 7, he says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom, or 1 John chapter 3, verse 7. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. In order to be righteous, we have to do righteousness. And what that really amounts to is you have to follow the standard of righteousness. That's God's word. In Matthew 7 and verse 21, Jesus said, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. And numerous other passages that could be cited with reference to this. You cannot be righteous with simply having the forgiveness of sins or having an imputed righteousness. We have to strive to become righteous. We have to follow the word of God in order to be righteous. If a person will be righteous, he will display the fruits of the spirit or the fruit of the spirit. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, longsuffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance against such. There is no law. Now, the last point we want to consider is what is the result of seeking righteousness? Well, going back to the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, for they shall be filled. But, you know, the question really becomes is filled with what? I mean, okay, Jesus, you said, blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. But what are we going to be filled with? Well, let me give you some thoughts here concerning that. The first is, I believe that what Jesus had re was referring to in that particular passage is that they would be filled with the very thing that they are seeking. You remember, they're hungering and thirsting after righteousness. Now they're going to be filled with righteousness. They're going to be filled with the very thing that they sought. Remember, righteous living results in righteousness. So there it is. Righteous living results in righteousness. You cannot be righteous and simply uh, be, live any way you want to live. Well, then righteousness also results in fellowship with God. In 1 John chapter 1 and verse 7, John recorded, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. In the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. Now notice, both of those concepts are found within this verse. You've got to walk in the light. You can't avoid not walking in the light. And to walk in the light is to walk in righteousness. But then there's also forgiveness of sins within that passage because we all fail at walking in, in the light. And when we fail to walk in the light, we need seek forgiveness. And thus you have that offering of forgiveness in verse number 
number nine in that particular passage. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so the second idea is that um, that we will be filled, carries the, carries the concept of being satisfied. Life is filled with desires. We all, I mean, surely all of us recognize that life is filled with desire. And, you know, desires come and desires go. Some desires are fulfilled. Other desires are not fulfilled. But life is filled with desire. Hungering and thirsting after righteousness is one desire. Now notice what the text says. It's one desire that's guaranteed to be filled. Now why is that? It's a desire that's going to be satisfied if we desire the right thing. Let us not forget Jesus gave us the key to true and lasting happiness. In John the 15th chapter in verse 11, I believe this is parallel. And you can find several different things that are parallel. I believe on the, the sheet there, there are three different things, or at least I hinted toward three different things. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. Well, the things that he's spoken unto us are the things that we are to desire, righteousness. The joy is the same as the blessing, and being filled is the same as being satisfied. I think all of us remember the story of the prodigal son. The prodigal son decided that he wanted his father's inheritance. And he took the father's inheritance, went to a far country, and squandered it away. How foolish. And we can point to the prodigal son, and, and I think most of us, if this really happened in our lifetime, and it was our brother or our sister, we would talk about how foolish that person is. But he went to another country. He squandered it all, squandered away. And when he became hungry, he fed himself with the husks from, that would be fed to the pigs. Now think about that for a second. He's a Jew. And a Jew was not to eat pork weren't even to be around poor. And yet he went and fed on the husk that he fed to the dog, to the, to the pigs. But when he was starving, that's when he decided to go back to the father. Do you merely hunger and thirst as the prodigal son when he went and fed on the husks? I think it's a fair question. Is your desire for righteousness like the desire of the prodigal son when he just went and fed with the pigs? Or do you really truly hunger and thirst? Are you starving for righteousness as when the prodigal son ultimately turned to the father? You know, we have to we have to really evaluate ourselves. What are we really seeking? 
Are we truly seeking or are we just simply hungry? I know what it means to be hungry. And I think most of us know what it means to be hungry. But you know, I don't know what it means to really, truly be hungry. I remember in Ukraine, and we were trying to help a young man out and ask him to go to McDonald's with us. And he said, no, I won't go to McDonald's. They were going through a, a deep depression as far as politics were concerned. People were dirt poor. They didn't have any money. And he said, if I eat that and get full, he said, I'll know what true hunger is tomorrow. And I thought, how true. You know, brethren, we've got to truly hunger, not just simply hunger like we have missed a meal or missed a snack, but we have to truly hunger after righteousness. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. If you are starving for righteousness, then Jesus' promise is for you of being filled uh, for you to be filled. This evening, we do want to offer the invitation. If you're subject to the invitation, we invite you to come as together we stand and sing to encourage you.